0: Good evening everyone and welcome to Commerce Connections. I'm your host, Katherine McQueen, and tonight's subject matter deals with depression. We're going to talk to two doctors here in regards to combating depression without antidepressive medicines. We have Dr. Bob Murray, Hi. And Alicia Fortenberry here, and Dr. Bob Murray is a psychologist, and Alicia Fortenberry is a psychotherapist. And they are on tour uh, through the United States with their book entitled, Creating Optimism. And it talks about their uh, seven-step program based on this program called Uplift, is that it? Mm -hmm. The Uplift Program. The Uplift Uplift Program. Uh Okay. Tell me something, where is the UPLIFT program uh, uh, being implemented now at this time?
1: Well basically it's sponsored by the University of South Florida, so it's uh, held in Tampa, Florida. It's also going to be held in um, California towards the end of uh, this year. And it's uh, also in uh, in Sydney, Australia.
0: Oh, Sydney, Australia! Mm-hmm. Wow, that's very impressive. And so, but it is with the uh, p- public health department. Is that correct? Or? It's
1: with the with the School of Public Health. I see. At um, College of Public Health, pardon, at uh, the University of South Florida. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, and and you designed the program, or you helped design it?
1: Both Alicia and I designed. the the program um, from scratch about uh, five years ago.
0: I see. Okay, now we're going to talk about some of the major health issues that we deal with in regards to depression and taking antidepressants. Mm -hmm. And one of the first questions I want to ask you, and and I want you to tell the uh, viewing audience, what would be the clinical definition of depression?
1: Classically, uh, depression is defined as when a person is feeling helpless, hopeless, and worthless
0: i see
1: if you have those feelings um then basically you're depressed
0: i see i see so now um do uh, or does depression differ in
2: men and women well in between men and women it does to some degree women are twice as likely as men to get depressed and nobody's exactly sure why this is it could be because of the estrogen factor. Estrogen has been shown to have a role in depression. We think it also has a lot to do with women's roles. that the, the, the roles that we traditionally have, such as caring for people, caring about people, the household and children, these are denigrated in our society. Not only that, But when a crisis occurs in one of these roles, we are five times more likely to be depressed. Anything having to do with children or the household or household finances or reproduction is going to send us into depression. And yet very often these things are out of our control. So we think that that's probably why women are, seem to be more affected by depression than men. So you say uh, uh, it has some, uh,
0: we talked about the estrogen. That's right. Okay. So what happens if uh, uh, a person is depressed, a female, and she goes to the doctor and he's giving her estrogen, is that
2: going to, uh, you know, uh, escalate the problem? Oh, it's really not, very, it's not a reliable treatment. I see. Uh, there has been some work with hormones for the treatment of depression, but as far as I know, the, they really don't have a protocol for it. There haven't been studies that work to show whether that really works or not. And in the experience of myself, who suffered depression for quite a long time, yes. and my clients, uh, this is not a reliable form of treatment.
0: So now you say you suffered depression. Yes. What,
2: what did you experience? It started at the age of about 12 or 13. I started to gain weight. My parents were fighting and drinking a lot. And I think like most children, who young people who suffer from depression, it's kind of a way of of opting out. You know, you can't leave physically because they're paying for everything, right? (laughs) That's right. So what you do in your head is you just sort of step aside and Mm -hmm. everything seems a little bit foggy and a little bit cloudy. You get very sad. You don't know why. You get irritable. Uh, You have behavioral problems a lot of young people with depression will be more likely to have drug problems and self-esteem. I had very low self-esteem. And it just got worse and worse until I met Bob and the relationship began to heal it and we discovered some of the techniques we'll be sharing with you tonight. Okay.
0: Now you say, and then you met Bob, so just to <laughs> let the viewing audience know, you're you're married, right? We've been married for 22 years. 22 yes. years, yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, so would you say that working with Bob helped you through your depression? or his program
2: i think i relate. no we we developed the program together i see i you know he started actually looking more into the causes of depression i think once he met me and said I you know see. what are we going to do this woman i love you know she's really not happy uh-huh. and uh so that was part of that was part of i think what motivated us but as we say it really is relationships that heal and this was a surprise to us, you see, because nobody was saying that before. We're really the first ones to say that it's relationships that heal depression. Yes. But what we found was that when we got together, and although we had many strikes against us, we neither one of us was really good at relationships, mm-hmm. we used some of the techniques we'll be talking about a bit later on. You might say we were relationship avoidant. We were relationship avoidant. We <laughs> yeah, relationship yeah, avoidant, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Bob was commitment phobic, and I was determined to get out of the relationship before he left. So it wasn't a really good start. I see. But the relationship did start to work. And I began to feel really safe for the first time in my life and cared about. Mm -hmm. And that began to make big changes within me. And when Bob saw what was happening, he said, okay, what we're doing is working. Let's try it out with our clients. And he did a lot of research in anthropology, neurobiology, how the brain really works, Mm -hmm. as well as how the body works. Mm -hmm. And it was through that research and our work with ourselves and then our clients that we began to put together these techniques. And then we found that when we gave questionnaires to the people who were taking our program. Ninety-four percent of them said that it helped and continued to after two years, so we knew we were on to something.
0: I see. So now, Dr. Murray, were the people who participated in your program, were they on antidepressants already? We
1: have no idea. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We never asked people whether they were on antidepressants or whether they were in therapy. Uh, The only common denominator was that they were depressed or they had appalling relationships and usually the two go together, Mm -hmm. Um, so that was all that we asked. Before people came into the program, Mm -hmm. Uh, and we said, "Okay, um, if this improves your relationships and helps with your depression, then we're doing the right thing."
0: Okay, all right. So now, do you think depression is different in different ethnic backgrounds?
1: I think that there's uh, there's quite a few answers to that. Okay. Um, The general answer is yes, um, but it's complex. For example. Take the case of African Americans. Yes, um, African Americans uh, have been shown statistically to suffer far great for, to a far greater extent from a low-level depression, what we call dysthemia. Dysthymia. Yeah, it means a low-level depression. It doesn't mean sort of um, bouts of ma- major depression. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look, on the other hand, at the suicide rates, then the rates mm-hmm. for of suicide amongst African-Americans is lower than that of white Americans. Um, The highest level of suicide is amongst elderly Caucasians. Mm -hmm. The lowest uh, suicide rate is amongst African-American females.
2: The high one is males, right? For Hmm? Caucasian males, am I not right? Yes,
1: Caucasian, Caucasian, elderly Caucasian males are the highest um uh suicides and 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 uh African American females, females are the lowest
0: are the lowest
1: they commit suicide far less in fact when uh i was looking up the t- statistics earlier today after the age of 60 there is no recorded deaths by suicide over the last 10 years for, of, for an African American female, female
0: in the whole of the united states wow. <laughs> so 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 we're pretty strong you're women. pretty strong yeah. yeah
1: i mean you, you
0: <laughs> you know, you've got this,
1: um, this thing where, overall, um, African Americans are more depressed than mm-hmm. white Americans, mm-hmm. but it's a different kind of depression.
0: I see.
1: And it's this kind of low-level depression. It's um, low self-esteem, uh, it's anxiety. They have far more anxiety than, overall, white Americans. Um, it's that kind of thing. It's that they don't come to the classic five definition, a five symptom definition of major depression nearly so much as white Americans and no one knows really why that should be the case.
0: Okay, Uh, now do you have any uh, statistics dealing with Hispanics?
1: Hispanics basically come into the same kind of category as Mm African-Americans although their suicide rate is higher
0: You're kidding.
1: Than than African-Americans, particularly among females. but it's uh, below the suicide rate of, of whites. I
0: see, okay. All right, now, uh, what do women and men do differently when they become depressed?
2: Well, they do a lot of the same things, but men typically get angry or withdraw. Nice. You know, men, men will go off to the computer and you won't see them for hours and maybe days until you send out a search party to find out what's going on. They, they really withdraw, and they often withdraw into that kind of activity. So, escapism escapism yeah very much into certain kinds of activities that's what most of the studies are about
1: and into violence
2: and into violence they'll the pick anger. fights
1: in bars or or whatever
2: or or domestic violence, we were gonna or say domestic or violence domestic very violence, violence,
1: much so yes absolutely
2: which of course begets more depression because then their children will go on to become depressed which we'll talk about in a bit mm-hmm. uh women and, and this is largely our observation but women tend to be more emotive tend to be more overtly sad uh, maybe it's because we're allowed to be. We tend to talk about it more, if we can, uh, and we, but we will also shut down. Maybe not so much into activities as just sort of shut down. We also become very irritable, but it, oh. it isn't always the violence that the men have.
0: So, so when you say irritable, we're thinking maybe a person
2: is going through menopause, and they could actually be dealing with depression. But that's exactly right. Mm. Yeah. Okay. a lot a lot of what we go through is women gets blamed on hormones that's right right. <laughs> sometimes it's, things are irritating around us or we're depressed and we don't know how to deal with it or how to handle it but that's exactly right mm-hmm. yes and we're in a society where we're not supposed to show it I see. so the way men deal with depression is is very congruent with the way our society is yeah go off work harder go off to a computer or whatever that's what people are supposed to or do. Or to leave the situation all a hundred percent. But what we need to do is we need to talk to somebody. We need to express our feelings. We need to get all emotive and maybe have a good cry with somebody. Mm-hmm. And you know, particularly in the corporate environment or in the American business environment, this is not exactly encouraged. Which may be one of more reasons why depression may be more difficult for us.
0: Okay, uh, let's talk about uh, depression in the adolescent children. Mm-hmm. What happens there? Well, an
1: adolescent child. Um, a ch- and I, firstly, let me make a, a, one point. An adolescent isn't a child. I see. Well, a lot of the problems with, um, with adolescents is that we still treat them as children. Oh. And yet, they're... <laughs> 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 okay. Their brains actually are fully formed. They are adult. So, so, so
0: what age are we talking
1: about? Then? Anything over the age of 13 is, is no longer a child. I see. And if you try and force an adult into a child role, that child is going to react in some way. It's going to become rebellious. It's going to become antisocial or whatever. Um, a, as a child grows, that child must be taken more and more into the decision-making process of the of the family. Must be talked to, not talked at, I see. very much. A lot of depression in children comes from parents who talk at the child rather than to the child. And not working along with them. That's right. With their growing process. But that's exactly right. What happens when, when an adolescent becomes depressed is that they withdraw very much. Uh, they're no longer interested in the friends they had, they're no longer interested in the activities that they were. Mm-hmm. They say that they're bored with everything. I mean... Yes. Just <laughs> strike a chord. They, yes. Um, they say they're bored, They tend their grades at school tend to go down, they um, tend to uh, be absent from school, go... um
0: mean like cutting class? That's
1: right, cutting class and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, picking. For, yeah picking fights, that kind of thing.
0: And are they doing this because they want people to recognize their uh, independence, and so now they're becoming depressed because you don't see them as...
1: Partly, partly that's true, but more it's because depression has started at a very much earlier age. We're finding now that that children can become depressed uh, from about the age of one. Really? Um, what 's more, the, the really frightening thing is that there was a Harvard study which came out just uh, a few months ago, which showed that children um, are that the rate of depression in children is increasing by twenty three percent a year, which is incredible when you think about it It is um, A few years ago uh, ten years ago, they said that one percent of the child population was depressed they 're now saying about ten percent is. And that's a very short space of
0: time for that increase.
1: As I say, 23% a year.
0: So uh, their depression is stemming from not only the, the uh, transition mm-hmm. into another uh, phase in their life. But that's right. But maybe the things that are going on in the family. In we, the family from a much earlier age. Right, but we talked about, what, child abuse? Yes,
1: we're talking about child abuse. But don't forget, we like to think of, uh, say, traumatic abu- events. Um, Because child abuse is very narrowly defined. I mean, there's physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, that kind of thing. But it can also be um, fighting in the family. Mm -hmm. It can be a divorce in the family, Mm -hmm. which is a very traumatic thing to happen to a child. It can mean uh, a lot of criticism. If you're criticized as a child by adults that you respect, your parents, whatever, then you tend to feel worthless. You tend to feel that it really is your fault. Nothing that you can ever do will ever be right.
0: I see. So then, uh, would their uh, depression also come from if they're put in, a, in an environment where someone is doing something to them and they can't express it? But
1: that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Or if they're um, subject to discrimination, for example. I see. Um, it'd be very hard not to get depressed if you're in a society which discriminates against you. I see.
0: See. Okay, now let me ask this question. What would be the signs or signals of a person slipping into a
2: state of depression? Not enjoying the things you used to enjoy, maybe changes in sleeping or eating patterns, boredom is a, is a sign that probably you're slipping into depression, a feeling of being useless, helpless, hopeless. All those are very clear warning signals. Very clear warning signals. Okay. Well,
0: now, now I w- When I watch some of the uh, TV programs, they'll talk about signs of a person with the way that they dress. You know, uh, they they uh, don't may may not keep the house as
2: clean as they used to. Or are are those some of the signs? Or well, part of the part of what goes along with depression is a very low energy. You don't care about the things you used to care about. You're not motivated. What does it matter? Nothing's going to work anyway. Oh. You feel so tired. It's harder to achieve anything. Uh, we were very moved recently. We uh, were speaking at a, at a bookstore, and a woman talked about how she had been depressed for a, a long time. She left her job. She was in depressed. She was in bed, and she couldn't get up. She just couldn't get up. Mm-hmm. And she, in the end, she cared about only one thing, and that was voting. Mm -hmm. and when the day came to vote she said it took everything that she had in her just Mm -hmm. to get up get out of bed and get to the voting place and she said and that seemed to turn it around and then she felt better after that but it was that hard for her to do anything yep get dressed clean the house anything
0: so so we have people running to the doctor really that may be in a state of depression but they may but but they may think they're sick you know from something else trying to get medicine saying I'm tired I don't have energy but but they're in a state of depression
1: yes that's absolutely right there was just been several studies which have shown that up to eighty percent of all people who visit physicians are uh, suffering from depression and you see the trouble with depression is that it's not just being sad I see Uh, depression can be um, can masquerade Mm -hmm. as a physical illness Mm Um, they call it a functional illness meaning that it has no biological um, basis thank you that um, so therefore you can be depressed and you think you've got fibromyalgia you can be depressed and you think that you've got chronic fatigue syndrome Mm -hmm. you can be depressed and think that you've got uh, a cold or the flu you can be depressed and have a whole panoply of symptoms and they can change one after the other so doctors will tell you that, um, that Mrs. Smith came back week after week, and each time she came back, it was something different.
0: Yes, yes. And this is depression. This is classic depression. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so now we have um, um, the society talking about um, uh, the big size meals, the overeating. Mm-hmm. So, so people who are gaining weight could actually be in a state of depression, and they're using
2: food to combat that, well, it's that, yeah the two well the three aspects about overeating and depression. Okay. Okay. One is that of course food is a is it says love to us. Yes. We, when we eat, Comfort. it's one way of giving ourselves literally love because of course the first interaction you have with your mother is through the breast, it's through food. So okay. food and love are really linked in our mind. Yes. And of course relationships are the major relationships gone wrong isolation. Fear of abandonment is the major cause of depression. So, really, overeating is a relationship problem. It's, on the one hand, looking for the love that you may not be getting in your relationships. Also, there's a strong uh, connection between early sexual abuse and depression. I see. And one of the reasons that was certainly true for me, and it's been shown in studies, it's true for my clients, one of the reasons that people who are sexually abused overeat is because it literally creates a physical barrier. If you don't have any other boundaries, if you can't say no, if, you, if you've if you been abused, then you may create a physical boundary of fat just to make you feel safe in the world. And the third thing is it's another way of dissociation. You can literally eat yourself into some kind of sedation.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> and, 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 and ultimately gain 200, 150 pounds or whatever that's right and then try to take it off and it's not going to come off because because
1: the the original problem is still there
0: I see now in creating optimism you talk about how people are misinformed about antidepressants correct Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can we talk about that for a minute sure okay Uh, dr. Murray uh, I would like to ask this question what is some invalid Information that is given to the general public in regard to antidepressants?
1: Well, the first thing is that, and you'll see this on television every night, on okay. cable television particularly, mm-hmm. where they have these ads for Paxil and all the rest of it. Um, the first thing that they want you to believe is that there is a solution in a pill. Mm-hmm. Um, the answer is that to the, for the vast majority of people, this isn't so. Uh, in two ways. One, you can be unhappy and take a pill. You can be unhappy and depressed and take a pill, and you may not be depressed, but you'll still be unhappy. I see. Um, Secondly, the pills really only work for 30% of of people. Um, 30%? 30%. According to the latest statistics, they only really work for 30%. Um, And the reason for this is perhaps, and again, according to the research that's been come out recently and that we've got in the book, is that they work by trying to get the brain to take up a neurochemical called serotonin. Okay. Serotonin is the neurochemical which makes, basically makes your brain work better, more efficiently, yes. um, keeps it going at the right speed mm-hmm. and uh, depression is classically defined as a slowing down of mental activity. Yes. So therefore if you pump it with more serotonin, it should speed up and you should be less depressed. This is the theory of the thing. What they found is that the reality is that serotonin is a symptom. The inability of the brain to take uptake serotonin is a symptom not the cause of depression. So it
0: is a symptom yeah. and not the cause. But that's right. Okay, so so we want the viewing and audience to know this, that serotonin mm-hmm. is a...
1: The, the inability of the brain to uptake serotonin. Okay. In other words, the inability of the brain to use it as it should, that's the symptom.
0: I see, Okay. So now, the uh, second question I have here is, can an addiction to antidepressant medication occur, and what are some of the side effects of these drugs?
1: Well, the side effects are, are, are many and huge. Um, uh, antidepressants have been linked to breast cancer. I see. They've been linked to brain tumors. Oh. Uh, they may well cause a lack of libido, all of them do that. Yes. They prevent male uh, erection, they which do. is terribly unfortunate if you yes. happen to be a man and on them. <laughs> they, they. So,
0: so, so, let me stop you right there. So you mean that there, there could be a man taking antidepressants, mm-hmm. and he is not able to function.
1: That's exactly right. So
0: he could be blaming it on his wife. She's but that's not right. Deciding that's or, right.
1: That's right. You know, or that's he right.
0: That's yes, right. it's really terrible.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and he's going to take it out on everyone around him. Yeah. It. Yeah, that's you absolutely know. true. It, they can cause diarrhea. They can cause constipation. But one of the odd things about them also is that they can cause anxiety. I see. And the problem is that as people are just finding now, researchers are just finding now, anxiety is a form of depression.
0: I see. It, neuro, neurobiologically the same thing. So, so in other words, then you're, you're saying that it can cause... Uh, other health problems, mm. especially with the digestive system, that's mm-hmm. th- it can cause you to gain mm-hmm.
2: weight
1: because. Well, that's of... absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Oh my
2: goodness. <laughs> Which of course makes you more depressed.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which isn't to say that that we advocate people throwing their pills out the door. R- okay, right. um, Because to come off antidepressants, firstly, okay. if they're working mm-hmm. for you, good, stick with them. I see. Obvious. Okay secondly to come off antidepressants immediately may cause you to become psychotic and even suicidal not a good idea
0: so no cold turkey
1: no cold turkey never go cold turkey on an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication these are powerful uh addictive drugs they the brain becomes reliant on them very very quickly and it takes a very long time um, for you to come off successfully.
0: No, a very long time. But like oh, we're talking months. So you have to be weaned. You've got to be weaned
1: off them, yeah. So,
2: so what will they do? Will they start lowering the milligrams? Or? Yeah, that's right. And but you do this in... Don't guess. Go to your doctor. Yeah. Yes. Find no, out from don't. your doctor. A, a good, a good, sensible program of getting yourself off them. Mm. Don't try to do this on your own. No. Do not. Do not, do not
1: self-medicate. The well, only way that you can self-medicate for for depression uh, is through chocolate. <laughs> i <laughs> didn't
0: <you> say that.
1: <laughs> chocolate. Okay. Chocolate is the best antidepressant going. <laughs> but it's got
2: to be good chocolate. It's got to be
1: good chocolate, and <laughs> it's got to and be. And be high quality chocolate. It's <laughs> got to be dark chocolate. You can't do milk chocolate. You can't have chocolate which has sugar in it because that's going to cause um, other problems including weight problems um it's got to be good quality dark chocolate that is a very
0: good antidepressant and 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 you are serious oh i'm absolutely serious okay so did you hear that (laughs) all right okay so now let's ask let me ask you uh this question uh alicia does the genetic background play a part in one's depressive state
2: of condition it may play a role uh perhaps our genes influence about 50 percent of our behavior, Mm -hmm. but the important thing to remember about the role of genes in depression is that you can have a genetic predisposition, but that doesn't mean that you've got a life sentence of depression. The the predisposition has to be triggered by something Mm -hmm. for you to be depressed. Mm -hmm. It's like with lung cancer. You may be genetically predisposed to lung cancer, Mm -hmm. but you might not get it unless you smoked or there was another environmental factor. Mm -hmm. In the same thing, you can be genetically predisposed to getting depression but if you were one of those rare people who had a perfect childhood, if such a person exists. Oh, all, all,
1: all my clients say they have perfect childhoods.
2: That's only in, that's oh. only in the first session. That's right. <laughs> but,
0: that's because they're not really opening up, huh?
1: That's right. It's called denial. You right. know, it's that river in Egypt.
2: OK, all right. So so now, um, let's but see. Can I just say one more thing about okay. that? Mm-hmm. Because we got a phone call that was so sad just a little while ago, and and some woman called us up and said, you know I know you say you can help with depression but my doctor just said that it's genetic and that if the antidepressants don't work I'm never going to get better. Oh and I this see. is such a common idea and I don't know why physicians aren't better informed but and, a lot of them aren't.
0: And so that's what you mean about that's what you talk about in creating optimism yes. mm-hmm. that people are being misinformed. Tell if exactly someone's right. telling them that you know well it's a, a genetic Problem, That's, so. right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. That's
2: right. And that makes you feel there's nothing you can do about it, and mm-hmm. there's many things you can do about it, mm-hmm. as we say in the
0: book. Mm-hmm. So now, are pills, Dr. Murray, the only way to deal with depression?
1: No. They're, they should be the, the, the avenue of last resort. Um, pill, there's several ways to deal with depression. Firstly, there's there's through medication. Secondly, there's through psychotherapy of one kind or another, and there are a gazillion different kinds of psychotherapy, and they're all basically the same uh, in terms of their effects.
0: Now, let me, uh, before you finish, what is psychotherapy so that they will, the audience will know what that is?
1: Well, let me put it this way. In the olden days when we were hunter-gatherers. Yes. Um, when we wandered around the plains of Africa, sort of, you know, hunting the the mammoth and and avoiding the saber-toothed tiger, uh, there was a council of elders. I see. And whenever you had a problem, you went to the council of elders, and the council of elders dispensed good advice and sent Mm -hmm. you on your way, and you felt very good about things. Okay. Then later on, um, when we became more civilized, and I put that in quotation marks, um, the priests came along, and so when you felt badly about something, you went off and you talked to the priest, and he absolved you, and away you went, and you felt better. Mm -hmm. Then, um, as we got more sophisticated, and again I put that in quotation marks, uh, none of these things really worked anymore, so we developed psychotherapy. Um, which is basically a substitute for the priest, the council of elders, and the wise uncle. And what's important here is the relationship between you and the therapist. If you have a good relationship with the therapist, then it doesn't really matter what he does or what he says, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you're going to get better, at least pro tem, in the the short term. Uh, If you don't have a good relationship with him, you're not going to get better, or her. You're not going to get better. Uh, the problem is that uh, they found with psychotherapy is that once the therapy stops, once the relationship between you and the therapist uh, is no longer there, you get a sense of loss which re-triggers the, the depression.
0: Oh. So, so dependency grows here?
1: That's exactly correct. Okay. And they found that after two years, um, the effects of most forms of psychotherapy, including the most, the favorite one at the moment, which is cognitive behavior, behavioral therapy, uh, mm-hmm. they wear off. Eighty percent of people relapse I into depression.
0: I see. So now, so we were, you were answering the question, though, yeah. are peers, pills the only way to deal? Yeah. With depression? So the
1: the third way is to improve your relationships. You see, we're relationship-forming animals. Okay. That's what we are, that's what we do. You mm-hmm. wind up a human being and it looks around looks around for another human being to form a relationship with. I see. We need relationships. Uh, mm-hmm. After all, we don't have very long claws.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We, Our teeth are laughable yes. by most predator standards. Uh, If you put us uh, against a cheetah, we're not going to get very far. Mm -hmm. So the only way that we can protect ourselves is by having supportive people around us. I see. Right? Right. To to, uh, protect us from these evils. I see. Um, Therefore, we depend on relationships. We need relationships. If our relationships are good, fine. We feel good. That's terrific. Okay. If our relationships aren't, then we get, sink into depression. I see. And if you want to cure depression, you cure the relationships. OK. It's, it sounds simple, but that's really how it works.
0: OK, well, so, then, so for me, being a mature adult, But you just told me I can take and work with that, but but how would we work with a six or a seven-year-old or eight-year-old? But
1: there you deal with the family. I see. You say the problem lies in the relationships between the various members of the family or between the various members of the family and the depressed child. I see. And you work, you sort of kind of tease Mm -hmm. out those relationships Mm -hmm. and you make them better. Mm -hmm. If you can make them better, then you will cure the depression in the child.
2: We have techniques in the book that talk about that. For instance, instead of just the parents laying down the rules and this is it, and particularly if the rules should change, which is very bad, yes. what you do is you have a family gathering. We call it a powwow. Okay. wow where, where the adults and the kids get together, and everybody's invited, even the youngest kids. Now, the two-year-old isn't going to stay very long, and right, the four-year-old. right? right? <laughs> but they get invited, and they get asked their opinion. Uh-huh. And it's at that family gathering where you work out what the rules of the house are, and what the consequences are. So you're going to let everybody sit around Mm -hmm.
0: at the powwow Mm -hmm. and they're Mm -hmm. going to voice their Mm -hmm. opinion Mm -hmm. on what they think is right and wrong in the household.
1: That's right and what their needs are. And then
0: then everybody becomes a part
2: of, the process, of better yeah. relationships in the in the home,
1: but that's exactly right.
2: And very often the kids we've sat in on some powwows where the four year olds had some brilliant suggestions for the parents. Really? <laughs> yeah, that really solved a lot of problems. And the parent didn't even think about that. They hadn't thought about it. Wow. The kids said, "Why don't you stay, You know, if you if you continue to fight when you're fighting, one of you should go to your room." And Bob and I said, brilliant, mm. absolutely great idea. And they did it. I, there were a lot as less they, fights.
0: Yeah, I, as they say, out of the mouth of babes. Out of the mouth of babes. So now, another uh, uh, misconception. Uh, can antidepressant drugs cure you of being depressed? And are they the answer to one's depressive state of condition?
2: Well, again, for they may cure. And cure is a funny word, right? But right, that, cure, but, because yeah, people uh, say, I want to get rid of this. I don't want it to come right. back. That's right. And probably the answer is for most people, no. Mm -hmm. They do not get rid of depression in such a way that it does not come back. They probably only help about 30 percent of people. That's really small percent of people that they really help. And even that may be only in the short term. Because remember depression is caused by underlying problems. Depression is a failure of relationships in childhood that then may may show up as depression in childhood or can show up depression later in adulthood as depression later in adulthood. Mm-hmm. And a pill just isn't gonna solve that. Oh, I see. And I can attest to that from my own experience because I tried most of them and most of our clients who come to us, or many of our clients, have gone through many types of antidepressants and they simply haven't worked. Oh, but at the end, it's the studies that tell the final truth about that, that it is only a very small percent of people who get help from antidepressants. Mm-hmm.
0: So then that would be the same situation of an alcoholic being, becoming dependent on alcohol mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to get rid of his anxiety or depression, but actually it's like a pacifier. That problem is going to still be there.
1: But that's right. That's true. That's right. That's true. You you uh, start out as a depressive with bad relationships. You take a pill, you may not be quite so depressed, but you've still got bad relationships. And that's then when true. you stop taking the pill, eventually you must, otherwise your system is going to collapse. Um, Then you're still going to have those bad relationships and you're going to um, sink back into depression again.
0: I see. Okay. All right. In saying that, we're going to take a break here and we'll be back in a moment with uh, Dr. Murray and Alicia Fortenberry and their new book entitled Creating Optimism. everyone and welcome back to commerce connections again i am katherine mcqueen your host and tonight in our studio we have with us dr murray who is a psychologist and alicia Fontenberry, who is a psychotherapist and they are talking and we're discussing their book entitled creating optimism right now we're going to touch on a subject about uh the different things that may cause depression now
2: i want to ask this question what can cause depression? You know, the major cause of depression is the world we live in now. We are not living the way we are genetically designed to live. Is that right? Yeah, and that about five to ten thousand years ago we stopped doing that. That was a long time ago. We used to be hunter gatherers, which meant that we were in a band that supported us, about fifty people. Okay.
0: Wait, wait, I'm sorry, hunter-gatherers?
2: Hunter-gatherers. Yes. In other words, we lived by hunting and gathering. Mm-hmm. But the point is that we lived in a band of people who supported us. We had 50 people who were there for us. Between 30 and 50. Between y'all. 30 and mm-hmm. 50. People who were there for us, no matter what, all the time. I see. And you think of how now we live in these nuclear families, if we're lucky or one parent families or no parent families and the enormous stresses that are on people who are trying to bring children up these days and these stresses go on right throughout our life so that we're living in ways that we weren't meant to without the support we were meant to have
1: there's one one uh, very interesting thing they found you know that human beings are ground-dwelling creatures we're like the chimpanzees and the gorillas. Okay. We're not sort of tree climbers mm-hmm. like, like monkeys. They found now that the higher up you live or work, the more depressed you're going to become. In other words, we're genetically geared to be close to the ground. If we live high up in a building, then we become more depressed, more anxious, more stressed.
0: So you mean uh, people who are in projects,
1: yeah. yes. per yes. se? Yes.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, are going to become more depressed, more stressed, more anxious than those who live on the ground with a picket fence around the um, the traditional quarter acre lot, yeah.
0: I see. Now, Alicia, I want you to explain to the viewing audience what you meant by the
2: nuclear family because I don't even understand that. Okay. The nuclear family is a small unit of people. In other words, your traditional nuclear family is mother, father, and the kids. 2.5 kids. 2.5 kids, two yeah. Point, mm-hmm. In the day, in this day and age of two thousand. No, 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 but
1: <laughs> traditionally. The, traditionally. Yeah,
2: okay. yeah, but what's happening, in other words, we went from the hunter-gatherer, 30 to 50 band, right, yes. to the extended family, which was farming, where we lived on a plot of land, but we still had the parents and the grandparents and the uncles and aunts around us, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you got the industrial age where people had to move around because that's what companies wanted. They wanted people to be mobile. So now we live away from our support, our f- familiar support network, the extended family, yes. and we've come into smaller and smaller units. So the nuclear family, which itself is a very, very vulnerable grouping of people, even that is endangered where we have so many just one-parent families and the latest thing is no-parent families. And, of course, the the parents who are there are having to work way too long hours. Mm -hmm. They're under enormous financial stresses. The community support that used to be there in terms of your neighbors and your church and so forth is not there. Mm -hmm. So what happens is the children are brought up without enough support. They don't get the attention they need. They don't get the feeling of being safe that they need. And there may be a lot of fighting going on in the family Mm -hmm. because everybody's under so much stress this is not their fault it's none of our fault but when if the human being gets stressed enough they're gonna fight with the people around them they might take to drinking or or drug abuse or addiction at the very least there's going to be a very tense household with just not enough time for the children and that causes severe problems in the children and then that will manifest itself throughout their life. So the original problem is the problem of relationships, but the relationships are themselves, the difficulty in relationships, that in itself is a symptom of a social problem, living the way that we weren't meant to live. And you know, I can identify now with what
0: you're talking about because I remember when I was growing up, I had, my grandmother was what you call the matriarch of the family. Mm -hmm. But it was like, I'd say maybe, four or five families, you know, my uncles and aunts, living in a, a, a three-flat yeah. building. And all the cousins went to school together, that's right. you know? That's right. and, and everything felt so good, but then I think what happened is they were going to uh, remodel that block that that's we right. lived on. That's right, that's right. And so everybody moved their own way. One moved mm-hmm. out to the suburb, mm-hmm. one moved mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. So now I go to a new neighborhood, go to a new school, don't that's know right. anybody, don't that's have, right. you know, that's and right. all of a sudden, I mean, I really identify with this. This is really something. It's giving me flashbacks. Mm. So, so, and you're thinking that, um, because as a matter of fact, when I moved my children out here to the suburbs and they started having problems, and I went to the uh, principal and told him, I said, you know what, I think they need to have a program for children when they transition from the city mm-hmm. but you're right. to the suburbs because it's a different lifestyle. They don't know, you know. That's right. That's absolutely right. Mm. I see. So, uh, okay, then. Um, Let's talk about this, let's talk about, can you uh, show what depression does to the brain structure?
1: Yeah. Firstly, let's, let's back up just a bit. Okay. When uh, a child starts growing up, if there's uh, a lot of these problems in the family that we've been talking about, yes. then the child, what we call dissociates, in other words, the child tries to distance himself from what's going on, I see. whether it's abuse, whether it's fighting, whether it's divorce, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They, they want to, it's a kind of, I want to get out of here, yes. type thing. Yes. So they slip into depression. Mm-hmm. Depression is a kind of dissociation, it's an escape mechanism, mm-hmm. in many ways, from what's going on. Mm-hmm. After all, if you can slow the brain down, then you can kind of, you know, dissociate, you can get out of there.
2: Not feel so much, not feel the pain. That's
1: right, not feel the pain so much. Uh, even though depression is a pain in itself, it's better than what's going on. Mm-hmm. So the brain then, as it's forming, as it's developing, develops around this, this depression. And we've got a diagram here. If we okay. can, If
0: we can. Sure, let me turn this this way. Go ahead. Can we you can see?
1: see? Uh, can, can we get a, a shot go. of this? Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. This is the, right, this is the brain, the three parts of the brain that I want to talk about. The amygdala, which is a kind of walnut-sized area of the brain here, which is part of the limbic system, part of the, the emotional heart and center of the brain. Then there's the hippocampus, here, which is another part of the um, limbic system, and the prefrontal cortex. This is the command and control center of the brain. This is where you do your thinking and your deciding and that kind of thing.
0: Okay.
1: Now, when a, if a child is depressed, this part of the brain, the amygdala, uh, becomes very active. This is the fight or flight part of the brain. This is the one that sends you messages that the saber-toothed tiger is about to jump on you um, or that um, something terribly sad is about to happen or whatever. That sends messages to the rest of the brain and to the central nervous system telling the rest of the brain what to do. It's not a terribly clever part of the brain, but it's very fast. Okay? Um, that becomes very active. In other words, it keeps repeating, it's a terrible world, it's a terrible place, something terrible is going to happen to you. And these messages go on all, on the, all the time. Then the hippocampus, um, which is this kind of, they called it the hippocampus because originally they thought it, it looked like a seahorse, and hippocampus is the Greek word for seahorse. Um, it, to me, my mind, it looks nothing like a seahorse at all. But this, The hippocampus in a depressed person is smaller than it should be. And the hippocampus, the job of the hippocampus, that's this area here, uh, is to store memories, mm-hmm. and particularly memories of how you got out of particular problems. Nice. In other words, sort of, gosh, when, when um, uh, my father came up to me with the leather belt, I ran. OK, but you forget that you ran. Mm-hmm. And so you do something which causes yourself to get hit, nice. because you've forgotten the defense mechanism, because the defense mechanism is is stored in the hippocampus. Then the third part of the brain is this prefrontal cortex, and in a depressed person, the prefrontal cortex works slower than it should. This is what makes it harder to make decisions, for example, or even to get up early in the morning. Mm. You know, oh, I can lie in in bed, oh, there's nothing worthwhile getting up for anyway, Mm. you know. um, There'll be another GNU come around sooner or later, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't have to, to get up now. So what happens is that the the amygdala is sending out all these messages. The hippocampus is telling is saying, I don't remember how I dealt with that, right? And the prefrontal cortex, that it's that it that's part's job, that that area of the brain's job, that's better, Uh is to switch off the amygdala to say, hey, guy, the, the saber 2 tiger is there no more. Okay. Right. You know, thing. The glass is the glass is really half full, not half empty. Yes. Um, but it's too slow. It doesn't do it. it. doesn't do its job.
0: So in other words, you're not having positive thoughts
1: and... That's right. That's exactly okay. right. And so you have these structural problems in the brain. In other words, depression is a structural problem mm-hmm. in the brain. Mm-hmm. It's not a neurochemical problem. Mm-hmm. That's why the antidepressants, by and large, don't work. I see. Because they're not treating this structural problem. Mm-hmm. Okay?
0: Okay. So, so, that, so then when this happens, that can affect you on your job, mm-hmm. On everything on, like every, everything, on every part of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so therefore, you're
1: getting messages which, uh, of, of doom and despair, mm-hmm. which the hippocampus which is not remembering, which the prefrontal cortex is not uh, shutting off. And this becomes a system within itself. Mm-hmm. And a system is self-perpetuating. I see. So therefore, it will try to do everything it can to preserve itself to preserve it as it is. Yes. So it gives you bad thoughts about yourself. So it makes you shoot yourself in the foot. So it makes you say things like, oh, silly me. You know, when, when, you, when you do something, you say, oh, silly me. And you think, that, that means nothing. But really, it sends a message to your brain that you're stupid. Right? I see. Or you may say, do you know, you may think this idea is stupid, but you're really giving a message, I'm stupid. And this, you're giving a message to part of your brain. I see. Which forms more uh, connections around the idea that you're stupid, you're clumsy, you're whatever,
0: or, or, or I'm not as good as the that's next exactly person. That's
1: exactly right. That's exactly right. Okay. My idea hasn't got the right, the same rights as the other person's or,
0: idea. Right, or you can look in the mirror at yourself and you'll be physically fine-looking. And <laughs> it's like the people who have some of these makeovers. That's right. You know, well, I that's mean, exactly they go right. to extremities. You're right. You're you know, I, right. I got to change this. I got well. You know, we talk about Michael yeah. Jackson with you know, yeah, yeah. So he he possibly could be in a state of depression. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, because he's steady fixing things. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and we a lot of people could be doing that. But that's absolutely right.
1: I
2: see. So the brain is constantly giving you the wrong messages, as mm. you say. Mm-hmm. It's constantly saying nothing you do is good enough. Uh, you don't look well enough. Your ideas aren't good. You're not smart enough. You're not clever enough. You don't move well. Whatever and this increases the depression and, it, and part of it is the the structural part of the brain mm-hmm. but another part of what causes and triggers depression is that we begin to seek out situations that are like the original situations that caused the problem. Oh. Say So for instance if your father was like my father mm-hmm. and, and my mother and you were always mm-hmm. criticized mm-hmm you go out and you look for relationships with people who are going to criticize you
0: i see, you, see? You, you you mean you mean uh, uh, i'm looking for a loving relationship but I'm not going to find that because I'm actually picking up on a relationship that was more familiar to me. That's exactly right.
2: right. You walk into a room, we we talk about romantic relationships, it happens in all relationships, Mm -hmm. but say you walk into a room, right? And then here's Mr. Gentle and here's Mr. Nice and here's Mr. I want to look after you for the rest of your life and be good to you. And here's Mr. I'm going to put you down and criticize you and make you feel bad and all of that. Mm -hmm. If you got put down and criticized and were made to feel bad in your childhood, you're going to go for that one. You're just not even going to notice Mr. Right and Mr. Good and Mr. Gentle and Mr. Kind, do you see? Or you might pick one of them and try to make him into Mr. Bad. That's right. You might try to do things to make sure he criticizes you. That's right.
0: So, so in other words, women, especially, who look for love relationships, maybe that's why they would think, quote unquote, that this gentleman here is a nerd when actually he's the good man. But that's That's right. but right. but But what's happening here is they tend to go towards somebody who was more like their father abusive. That's you right. You know, saying, you know, I don't like what you have on. That's right. Or, or why are you doing this? Or, you don't need to go to school. That's, that's right. right. That's, that's exactly, exactly right. right. So that's what But happens. it's not
2: only that they'll do that for the men, and by the way, men will do the same thing for women. Mm-hmm. In other words, you try to find your mother, your father, or both. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that women look to find daddy. Mm-hmm. I could look to find my cold and absent mother. Mm-hmm. In a man. It's -hmm. not gender specific. Mm -hmm. But we also do it with our bosses. We do it with our friends. Mm -hmm. We do it with the people. Say there's a group at church who would be just perfect for us. We find the group that that maybe is going to exclude us. Do you see? Uh We do it in every area of our life. Uh We can even do things so that our kids become like the negative aspects of our parents. So sometimes you hear people say, you know, well, my son just never says a nice thing, or even my son hits me. Mm -hmm. Well, in a sense, things have happened so that the son is doing what maybe one of your parents used to do. I see. So we, we create, in adulthood, very often for complex neurological reasons, the bad parts of our childhood and that triggers depression. Mm-hmm. And again, it's all about relationships because we, cre- we recreate the same negative relationship patterns from childhood. I see. Now, uh, does depression differ
0: socially for different races? And can your ethnic background play a role in a depressed state of mind?
1: Yeah. One of the very interesting pieces of research that's been done uh, is with um, uh, the, um, the native population of South America at the time of the Conquistadors, the, when the Conquistadors came, uh, there was an outbreak of illness mm-hmm. amongst the, the, the Indians, the primarily tuberculosis. I see. What, what they found was that the Indians had had the tubercular uh, viruses within them Uh, long before the the, the Spaniards came. Mm -hmm. But their immune system had kept them in check. I see. And when the Spaniards came and defeated them, Mm -hmm. uh, made them uh, into slaves, Mm -hmm. uh, took away their belief system, took Mm -hmm. away their families and so forth, they got into a depressed state which lowered their immune system. And the virus... And the virus then came and they got tuberculosis. So every time a, a race of people or a, uh, a creed or whatever is put down mm-hmm. in that way mm-hmm. by the majority, by the conquerors, whatever, mm-hmm. then that, the enslaved population, the put down population, the, um, the population that, that has been put into this situation will become depressed. I see. And so this then can go from generation to generation to generation. Oh,
0: it's, it's, so how do you stop the cycle?
1: Well, you stop the cycle. Um, you can't stop the cycle in the larger society so quickly. OK. But what you can do is you can say, all right, in this population, let's concentrate on the relationships between the members of that population. Nice. Now, if it's a slave society, this is rather difficult. That's But right. in, let's say, a nominally free society, okay. um, then you can say, all right. Look, you can get people together. You can teach them how to have functional relationships. You can build a relationship structure around them, a a relationship nexus, as we call it, Mm -hmm. around them, which will support them, which will make them feel good, which will praise them. Yes. Those kind of things.
2: Yes. The positive.
1: The positive, that's right. Give them the positives. Uh, And that will cure them of the depression.
2: And then they, once you start creating boundaries, and once you start insisting that people treat you well, once you learn Mm -hmm. how to do that, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then you insist that everybody you run into, everybody at work, everybody on the street, everybody that has anything to do with your life, treats you well, and that becomes automatic.
0: Hmm? Okay. Uh, now, let me ask you this, Dr. Murray. What would be some statistics for depressive conditions in minorities as well as majorities?
1: Do You know, they've never really done a, any, um, any full studies. They, well, at least there have been a lot of studies, and they've all been contradictory. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do know is that, for example, 97% of uh, African-American men who are depressed have no form of treatment and have never had any form of treatment. Really? Um, that much we know. We know, as I was saying earlier, that African-Americans in general are more likely to suffer low-level depression right. than white Americans, yes. for example. Yes. But in terms, we know also that in terms of the uh, indicators of, of depression, a lack of sleep, um, irritability, that kind of thing, that those those indicators are more prevalent in African Americans who are employed uh, than whites who are employed. Mm-hmm. But that's a basically as far as the statistics have gone, and that I think is a pity. Yes, yes. because there's a lot more to be learned. I think there.
0: I see. So now let's go on to your seven-step program, okay? And uh, in your book, creating optimism, okay? Um, now, first of all, you, you you wrote this book together again, right? We did, yes. We okay. Did. okay. We like to say We're together, together okay. we
2: make up one functional human being.
0: And, and here on the cover, it says it's a proven seven-step program. So I want you to talk a little bit about that as well.
2: OK, good. Let me briefly run down through the steps okay. to give you just an idea of the breadth of the program and, yes. and kind of the step-by-step approach. Okay. First of all, we talked about the patterns that you you take from childhood and that govern what you do now and mm-hmm. the people you choose. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to be aware of them. Okay. you got to be so aware of them that, as I like to say, you could write down the major parts of your patterns on an index card mm-hmm. and carry it around and look at it and say, uh-oh, here I go again. I'm about to um, be rude to my boss. This is a pattern of mine. I'd better not be rude to my boss. Do you see? I see? And we have we have all sorts of little exercises and charts and things to help you do that in the book. Mm-hmm. So you understand your patterns. We call the negative patterns the inner saboteur. The inner saboteur. Yeah. Because it's like some part of you that always tries to make you do the wrong thing for yourself. I see. And put you in situations where you're going to be put down or hurt and then depressed.
0: Or or would one of the situations be when people
2: get in credit card debt, overspending? Absolutely. Yes, Yes, absolutely. absolutely. That's one form of addiction, of course. And there's so many forms of addiction, ways we can hurt ourselves through addiction to eating too much, not eating enough, not exercising, overspending, exercising too much, there's uh, overworking, not working enough. There's just a million ways that the inner saboteur has found that it can get us back into that depressed state. So you recognize the enemy. You recognize that inner saboteur. that's step number one. Okay. Okay. Step number two, and they're not exactly in this order because I'm gonna generalize a bit, but a- another step involves or another series of steps involves creating relationships that we've been talking about with other people that work against the damaging parts of what happened in childhood. Nice. For instance, I talked about that critical parent making giving me a programming to seek out other critical people. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, what you need to do then is you need to seek out a seek out people who aren't critical and if somebody is critical you need to know immediately what to do to stop it. Okay. So for instance, somebody criticizes you and you just say, that's not an appropriate way to speak to me. Okay. Or even if you're not sure you know, I heard that as criticism. Did you mean to be critical? Right. And you'll find that stops criticism pretty quickly. Okay. We again throughout the book we tell you how to do all the, stop all the little self defeating behaviors mm-hmm. in your relationships mm-hmm. and make sure that your relationships meet your functional needs. Mm-hmm. So because all we, yeah, relationships can meet either your functional or your dysfunctional needs. So you have to identify your needs. You have to identify your functional needs and make sure that people uh, meet those functional needs. I see. And again, there's a whole lot of techniques that we have for doing that. Mm -hmm. Then you use those relationship techniques in all areas of your life. You use those techniques to build your self-esteem. You use it at work to increase your sense of competence. Mm -hmm. You actually find ways to be with other people that enhances your sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. Like that woman I spoke of before who got out of bed to vote, and it was the one thing that broke the cycle of her depression. Finally, you learn how to access your own sense of spirituality. Mm -hmm. So that, in a nutshell, is the seven-step program. And we say that it's proven, because in the people who came to our Uplift program, we followed them two years later with questionnaires, and 94% of them said that they no longer felt depressed or certainly had their mood vastly improved and also had much better relationships. I see.
0: So so spirituality does play a role in combating Depression. A very important role. All right. So now, um, Alicia and Dr. Murray, you also have a, a website. Mm-hmm. Yes, Can you we tell do. the viewing audience the, uh, the web address?
2: Yeah, we have two websites. Uh, one of them is called www.creatingoptimism.com. It's the title in the book there. And another website, www.upliftprogram.com. It's full of really good information that you can use, and you can also sign up to the website for a free e-newsletter where we will send you research and other types of information that we think it's really important for people to know in terms of their own emotional health and that of their children. Mm -hmm.
0: And you also talk about if people want something like this
2: done in their community or neighborhood, tell tell us a little bit about that. If you would like us to come and help you set up an Uplift program and facilitate the Uplift program Mm -hmm. we would be very happy to do that. Mm -hmm. Just let us know through one of those websites and we will see what we can do about doing that. Meanwhile people can use the techniques in the book to, you can do it with your neighbors, with your friends. You can get a little circle going of uplift techniques and practice giving needs and identifying needs. There's a lot of, there are a lot
1: of such circles uh, dotted around the world, in fact. Um, and one of the things that we do is after each uh, uplift program, we we have what we call uplift circles, I which see. are sort of support groups. Yes,
0: support groups, but mm-hmm. call them uplift circles. Uplift mm-hmm. circles. Mm-hmm. That's yes, good. That's mm-hmm. a good thing to do. Okay, and um, now one more question: Are there patterns we need to identify, and how early in our life cycle should
2: we backtrack? The moment you find yourself having poor relationships or having any of those symptoms that we spoke about, the feeling that life isn't giving you pleasure, the feeling of hopelessness and helplessness and disempowerment, Mm -hmm. the moment you do that, you need to start looking at maybe some of the patterns that you have in behaviors and start changing those. Mm -hmm. I see.
0: All right then, in saying that, I want to thank you. Thank Alicia very Forten-Mary much. for coming on this show, and Dr. Murray. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on Commerce Connections. And again, we invite you to read their book called Creating Optimism. Okay. Uh, we Again, we invite you to take a look at the book creating optimism and again we will uh, run their website on the screen and i thank you again for joining us again here this evening on commerce connections thank you and good night